Bev! Don't kill me! Don't kill me, Bev! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. <laughs> Lawrence. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, your host, David Dennis. And this is yet another episode of Hold Up, the show where we uh, look back on the shows or, or not shows. Sorry, the show where we look back on movies that give people the hardest nostalgia hard ons <laughs> and effectively try to kill their boners. But I am not joined. Uh, I am joined, actually, with uh, my intrepid co-host. He is my number one guy. And I'm talking about Matthew Cleary here, uh, here from Medellin. Just got into the city. So thank you uh, for having me again, David. Look for I look forward to today. I have I've been looking forward for today. Would you say that uh, Medellin is a, a town in need of a certain medical procedure, perhaps? Uh, what, what is that a line from? I'm trying I'm trying to cue you up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a line. Uh, from I was, movie, I was right? trying to get you to say this town needs an enema. Right, I knew the line. I knew the line. I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that is from the movie that that's a perfect setup because that's from one of the movies we're talking about today which is 1989's batman that's right uh, that's, that's right that, i was like which one was it i was like was that the penguin or was that the joker who said that line yeah i think all the memorable lines that people quote uh like that or wait till you get, a, you load get a load of, of me the or, like, they're, yeah they're all they're all from the first one i think i don't think penguin has as the only memorable penguin line for me is at the beginning of the movie when he says Oh, but you can. Oh, but you will. I don't know why that that just stuck with me all throughout my entire childhood. Anytime someone like made a promise or something or like a, the pastor at my church was saying something <laughs> that he obviously couldn't deliver on. It was my, in my head was, oh, but you can. Oh, but you will. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I guess we'll we'll kind of jump right into sure. um, uh, these movies. What what were your general thoughts going back and rewatching um, the, the you two know Burton Batman? I I found them both in in for, for the two, two hour runtime for both, like two hours and six minutes. I think we're both exactly yeah, exactly two hours and six minutes for weird. both of them, which is weird. I ch I checked on my DVD player. I was like, wow, they're this exact same length. I thought they were both yeah. a little too long. Um, definitely. Yeah, I agree. You know, they, they had some, they, they were like a little bit of a mix of too long and too short. Like, okay, let's look at, for 1989, for example, the Jack Napier to turning into Joker, and I always say the Joker, it's just Joker. I get that, I get that, that's a mistake. I always, I always use articles for these villains. Get turns into Joker. Well, I mean, you can. I I think it's one of those. It's like Batman or the Batman. It's kind okay, of interchangeable. Okay, you can use. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But Jack Palance is dead at like the twenty minute mark. Like they kind of they rush that whole. Like I I don't know if maybe I'm used to mm. watching these Netflix sort of uh, six part series, sometimes twelve part series, which those are usually too long by two or three episodes. But I felt this this movie could have been like, a, you know, an, an interesting six part series instead of an overlong two hour movie, if that made sense. But I did like it. And I actually kind of. Yeah, I never. I don't get me wrong. I did like I, I found them both very watchable. 
that they both hold up in terms of watchability. I didn't feel they were they were very dated. You know, there was a weird aesthetic to '89 where it was like, what year this is? Are the, is this the '80s or is this the '40s? Because the gangsters are just like they're a Dick Tracy gimmick sort of thing. Yeah, there's a little bit, of a, but I kind of liked it. I, I didn't I didn't find that as a, as a negative. I thought that was sort of interesting. It's like it's in its own little thing. Yeah, I I felt basically the same way. I enjoyed them more than I actually thought I would. Yes, me too. Uh, I thought that, I thought I would feel they'd be dated. I think the last time I watched them was when the DVD box set came out, which was right around the time the Nolan movies were coming out. So in my head, I'm automatically comparing them to the Nolan movies right. and going like, ha ha, they're so cheesy and dated. And we <laughs> right, have this right. new, better version that came along. These don't even need to exist anymore. Like that was my mentality when I was like, like 2021 when the the Nolan movies were were in their prime especially with Batman Returns I was really harsh on that movie See I think I've only um, seen both of them And now once. I've kind of I've come full circle <laughs> Yeah I, I I think I saw them both original like I saw one in 89 and one in 92 92 and I think maybe other than watching a few parts of them on like TNT throughout the years this is the first time I've actually sat down and rewatched it paid attention to it um, so there's there's some things I remembered. Like I was like, okay, I remember them destroying the museum. You know, I remember the I remember Bob the Goon, my favorite character. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone loves Bob oh, the Goon. Right. I forgot that he died. Actually, I was me really too, sad when he died. Too, at the and end. the way he like, died. For some reason, I thought he lived. <laughs> I thought so too. I thought for I don't some remember reason this he lived too. moment. <laughs> I like how he's Bob the Goon and not some like minor comic book character that they just you know just decided to give him a name or yeah something. and i think i think if i'm not mistaken like the only reason people know that he's called bob the goon is because he had an action figure uh when because obviously <laughs> okay. these movies are famous for for franchise tie-ins and action figures and like pepsi commercials and all that fun stuff yes uh, but the and action figure for that character said bob the goon <laughs> on the on the box i think in the movie his name is never actually said so are you sure? I thought he said, this is Bob, you're my number one guy or something, or Bob. Does he? I, don't, I thought he just I thought he held him Bob and said, you're my number one guy, and that's okay. it. I know they don't say Bob the Goon. That's not sort of a... Yeah. He might. I don't know. I'd have to, if someone wants to fact check that for me. <laughs> that's that an interesting be, part uh, you, you really brought up, though, about the franchise tie-ins, though. Because, okay, now, seeing that movie as a 12-year-old... I, I I don't remember how much I liked or disliked. I remember I liked it as a kid. And I remember us arguing on the playground over whether Joker died. How could they bring him back for a sequel? You know, what would be, you know, how, how they would do that or whatever. You know, because when you're a kid, you're like, wait, you can't. Joker doesn't die, you know. This character is always, you know, he's always omnipotent. Even though it's like clearly he's literally made an impression into the <laughs> exactly. pavement at the end of the movie. Like, well, Batman kills people <clears throat> in these movies. But. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. I wanted to actually bring that up at some point. Uh, cause I've noted, I noticed it all happens off screen. I don't think he on screen kills anyone, no, he doesn't, but there's like no. a point where he, he drops a bomb in the first movie and it blows up the whole building. And obviously everyone who's in that right. building is dead. Cause those, the henchmen <laughs> like, like no surround way they the survived. car or something. <laughs> yeah. It makes it obvious. Yeah. And then even what I thought kind of stood out in the, in the opening thing 
where the two guys robbed the men at the movie th- and that confused me a little because I was like, oh, is this Mark Martha Wayne or, or what's this? Is this the Wayne family? I think that was on purpose, though. Yeah, it must. I yeah, I think that was. I actually wrote in my notes that it was like a bait and switch opening. Yes. I think I don't know if that was the screenwriter who came up with that or if that was like Tim Burton's idea, but I think they were trying to get you to think. Oh, this, this is, is like Batman's backstory. And then it pans up and Batman's already there. I actually like the movie in that Batman exists as the movie. Joker doesn't exist. Batman exists. And I like that. There's not some long drawn up training montage or something. <laughs> We're in a world. And also Bruce Wayne. I like how Bruce Wayne is just sort of like uh, an eccentric rich guy. Like he's not famous. He's not, you know, it's not like Wayne Enterprises is all over town. He's just sort of a... A rich guy who throws parties kind of thing. He's not a... Vicky Vale doesn't know what he looks like. You know, the uh, the reporter character. And that, that was a weird little tri- love triangle. I didn't really like that. But the uh, Robert Wolf is the actor. I can't remember the... I think his name was Alexander Knox, Knox I think. I think she yeah. called him Allie. And he he doesn't show up in the sequel, which is kind of weird. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people didn't. To be no, fair. Right. I think the most surprising is probably Billy D. Williams. I think everyone was expecting right. him to right. come back. He's sort of a yeah. And apparently he was supposed to be when they made Batman Forever and uh, Two Face is in it. He was supposed to be Two Face. Right. Uh, he was still Warner Brothers had a contract with him that if they did bring Two Face back, he would be Two Face, and they just bought him out of his contract. Yeah, and I and that's the movie. That, I, I don't know. I, I've never. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Hasn't it's not received very well though, is it? Yeah, I don't. We won't get too into Batman Forever, but I don't hate Batman Forever. Okay, right. right. <laughs> I have that's the one I have the most fond memories from from my childhood. I think that's the one that I kind of grew up with. Okay, that I watched first, and then later I watched the Tim Burton ones and thought they were kind of weird. I was like, why weird. are these ones so much darker? <laughs> Why are these ones so much darker and weirder? And like the one I just watched, which I didn't know which order they came sure. out in, but I was like, why is the one I watched like so much more fun and, and like neon lights everywhere? Uh, and they, exa- uh, they and exist it looks like Batman's fighting right? in a nightclub. They're, they're, <laughs> they exist in the same. Yeah, uh, they're of... like, I consider the, the Schumacher Batmans to be like half sequels. Okay. Like Batman Returns is a full-blown sequel. It references Vicky Vale. Sure. Like there's things in it that tell you that it's, this is completely a sequel. But the the Schumacher ones are like, there's stuff that holds out. Uh, like Pat Hingle is still Commissioner Gordon. Michael Goff is still Alfred. Uh, but then there's there's a lot of stuff that changed. It doesn't have Danny Elfman anymore. Uh, it's got I can't remember his name. The guy who did the music for Alien Three, but his name is escaping me. Right oh now. yeah, so yeah. It's yeah, got yeah. like a different guy doing the score, a different director, different Batman's. Right. <laughs> so they're like Gotham kind looks of different. sequels. So that's why yeah, and Gotham looks like a gay nightclub. Yeah. So I didn't. That's why I was like I don't really want to talk about those too much because I I feel like they're not. Yeah really full-blown sequels these the first two batmans are the two that uh, are really i'm the most interested uh to talk about I, I agree. um so yeah an, an, a number of things did strike me that i never noticed before watching it and i don't know if this is just me as like mr film over analysis guy uh one thing was uh vicky vale i don't I didn't hate her as a character. I just feel like she didn't need to be there. No. I feel like she's just there because yeah. Batman's got a case of the not gays. <laughs> yeah. 
and so they, and so they they need to have a female character. But the thing that really bothered me is the whole thing with like Joker falling in love with yes, her. Yes, I was about to say I did not like that. He like looks at a picture and falls in love with a picture. Yeah, that felt like a whole because he had this whole plan to use like cosmetics to turn people into other Jokers yeah, or like something. To make Jokers. And then it goes off on this weird subplot about art and photography and then that leads him to falling in love with Vicky Vale and it it the whole thing is just an excuse to have Vicky be a damsel and have yes. it so Batman can save Vicky like it's the only reason that entire part of the movie is in it and it's not properly connected to the plot enough to make me care like even in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, they did a pretty good job of making it. So when like Mary Jane is captured by the villain, she there's a reason for her to be there sure. at least. Like she's talking to Peter Parker in a diner or something. And then Dr. Octopus shows up and, and takes her away or something. But like this felt like they were riding around. <laughs> like, they were, like they had the end point of like, oh, Batman needs to rescue her and bring her back to the Batcave. Right. And then they worked backwards and were like, OK, how can we figure out a way to do this? Um, what if the Joker likes art and there's a thing in an art museum like it? It just felt completely ridiculous to me. Yes. Me so, too. yeah, that part I I did not like at all. Well, I think, you know, we had like a paper th- like the plot was paper thin at best, too. You know, the, 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 their Joker's med- motivations are very ambiguous you know, like, does he just want, is he just like mass? Yeah. I mean, he, he's not doing it for money nor power. He gets that by killing Jack Palance. Now, what, what does he want? Does he just want to kill a lot of people? You know, it's, he has a very ambiguous motive. You know, the, he has a, a couple schemes. It's almost like watching the TV show in that, okay, he has a scheme with the cosmetic scheme foiled by Batman. Then he has the scheme at the parade foiled by Batman. You know, there's, Yeah, yeah. I even felt that like watching it as a kid, I was like, what is Joker's plan in this movie? I never understood Joker's plan as a child. And even watching it now as an adult, I'm like, I still don't really know what his plan is. Like you said, he gets what he wants at like the 20 minute mark. And then he just like does shit (laughs) for for an hour and 30 minutes or whatever there's definitely an element where he wants to be famous because he's like i don't understand you know uh, i do i do all this and all they want to talk about is this winged freak and you know what can a guy do to get in the newspapers these days because he destroys two televisions he shoots one and then he destroys the one with single oh yeah <laughs> because he's just he doesn't yeah, like that, that they're funny. covering but i don't know that was a weird aspect of his character because it wasn't you know I don't I, I actually wanted there to be more Jack Napier because I really like what I like the few scenes we had is Jack Napier. I was like, wow, this reminds me of the the, the Jack Nicholson character in Chinatown or in uh, The Departed. And I was like kind of really liking like the just this psychotic secondhand man to Jack Palance. But I'm like, all right, well, now he's the that, yeah. that didn't last very long. I actually got a lot of like. Um, like classic James Cagney, like white heat kind yeah, of vibes, yep. like like old 1930s, 1940s gangster movies, especially when they're in the the chemical factory and there's like the shootout happening. Right. And there's even like the classic like sound effect of the bullets, like doing that right. when they yep. like bounce off of something. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, I was I was definitely getting those vibes, but it it does seem like there's not enough setup for some of the characterization that happens later. Right. Like he has all this like jokey. He's got like the boxing glove gun and the super long gun that goes like the entire length yeah. of his pants, which I I still think is hilarious. But like. There's nothing earlier. The only thing earlier in the movie to kind of set that up is he's got like his lucky card deck and that's it. But like, uh, that's kind of flimsy. Like maybe if he was a magician or something like or I think in the killing joke, he's like an actual comedian. Right, right. I've I've seen some origins where he's like a failed comedian or something. And and I guess the the new the new Joker movie, the Todd. What's his name? Todd. I was going to say Todd Salons, which would also be an awesome movie Todd Phillips? Todd Phillips movie yeah um I guess he's a failed comedian in that the, the Joaquin Phoenix movie which I didn't really love that movie no to I be honest I, I actually I, I didn't <laughs> dislike it I don't want to go on a whole thing about I, that it was okay that's what I put it was okay yeah that's kind of how I felt it was a little bit too like mean-spirited and yeah yeah it's a film I probably would have liked in like my late teens, early 20s, when I just was like more more of like a brooding teenager who kind of right. hated everyone. Right. <laughs> if I saw the Joker, I'd be like, yeah, he yeah. understands me. As a man in my 30s, I'm like, this is weird. This is like a incel, the movie. Yes. <laughs> it's like a guy who's not getting laid. And so he just murders everyone. It's weird. You know, speaking of cruelty, the um, and this was something that actually stuck in my head. And this is something that um, this is one of the one things, one of the few things I took away from this movie. Like I said, I saw it when I'm 12. That was 30 years ago or so. Um, the Jerry Hall, uh, Jack Polance's girlfriend having an affair with Jack Nicholson, you know, whatever. Again, another thing that doesn't really get explored yeah. very much. It's just sort of established and that is sort of the reason that Jack Palance wants to kill um, Jack Nichol- N- Jack Nicholson. But when he tur- like she's wearing the mask, and like she can't walk, and she was this beautiful cover girl model. She was on the cover of Vogue, and like Jack Nicholson's just well, not, um, Joker disfigured her with acid, and then I and then I guess she gets killed off screen. He tells Vicky Vale she commits suicide. I was like, you know. In a PG-13 movie, this whole, I'm going to turn this beautiful woman into living art and disfigure her with acid, this is really, really, really dark. And that is something that stuck with me as like, wow, that is like one of the most cruelest, horrible things you could do to him. Yeah, I think I think that's why, like I said, Batman Forever doesn't have anything like no. that in it. I think the the plot is like Riddler is trying to use this new device he invents that allows you to see like 3D television or something to like suck people's brainwaves so you can become super smart. It it makes no sense. It's really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's like as a kid, uh, there's nothing really like scary or dark about that. It's just weird. As the same returns, they kill the ice princess. I didn't remember that happening. Yeah, me too. Like I, I as I was watching it, I was almost imitating Batman going and like shooting a thing to catch her just in yeah, time. Exactly. I was like, of course, he's going to shoot his battering and catch her. <laughs> yeah. And then he just stands there and watches her die. And I'm like, oh, but you're Batman. Can't you like save her or mm-hmm. help her? <laughs> like. I, I think that's the thing that struck me the most as well about like the Michael Keaton version of Batman is he's definitely like the weakest and most fallible 
version of Batman maybe ever. And I don't mean that as a as a negative, like an insult to his character. I think it actually kind of humanizes him. I think all the Batmans we've seen since, especially if you put Batman and Superman in the same movie, you have like a literal God and then just normal guy who is rich. So it's like you have to make the normal guy like good at everything. He speaks every language. He knows all the martial arts. Um, He has like a super powered suit that he can fight Superman in all this stuff. Like he's ridiculously, insanely skilled at everything he he touches. Uh, But this Batman isn't like that. You can tell he doesn't know everything. He's not good at everything. He probably studies martial arts, but he's not like the best. He's not Jackie Chan or anything. Without his toys, he probably wouldn't stand a chance against just some average. Yeah, even Michelle Pfeiffer just... Yeah, she beats him. Uh, beats a him up times. pretty good in one scene, and I was thinking like the the Ben Affleck version of of Batman would have like crushed Miss Michelle Pfeiffer's skull. Right. <laughs> There's there'd be no It'd contest, be but like she manages to scratch him a little bit, right. and I'm like, right. wow, he's he's not that strong. I mean, I thought he was when I was a kid, but uh, I li- actually I like how the fight scenes aren't overdrawn. They seem somewhat realistic, you know. Couple punches and kicks, nothing crazy. Um, you know, they're, they're short. Yeah. The, they, they have the interesting Indiana Jones sort of callback with the sword. The One of the Joker's guys had the two swords. Oh, yeah. And then he just like kicks yeah, him kicks one him time or punches or him. Yeah. And then there's the other guy that flips behind him right. and does like the a backflip and just falls through the floor, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. The climax. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a few there's a few moments in these movies. Tim Burton definitely has that weird offbeat sense of humor, and it does come through in a few moments in these movies. Like he has a really dark sense of humor. I was going to say, though, I did. I did not find either of these movies funny. Like there there wasn't uh, there. There was none of these. One, I don't know if it's because they maybe that's something that hasn't aged well. I thought that the the mm. Robert Wool Knox character, I, I don't know if he's supposed to be kind of comic relief. And I didn't find the Joker's morbid, like one-liners, to be real. They, I, you know, they weren't good, like say, Hans Gruber sort of lines in 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 Die Hard or like a James Bond villain. You know, shocking, positively shocking. It wasn't it wasn't clever like that. I think it wasn't bad, but I just didn't find it. I, I thought it would be funnier. Like I thought that there'd be more sort of a. I thought there'd be more one-liners. Maybe I was maybe I was remembering the long the wrong movie. Yeah, maybe you were thinking of the Adam West Batman movie. It could be. Movie and I think I was it's getting sort of a James get, Bond. He's trying to get rid of the kind bomb. Of James Bond <laughs> villain sort of thing cuz Joker had these grand schemes to sort of destroy the world that you know, these schemes that wouldn't really benefit him. Like let's say his gassing Gotham scheme work. Like what would he do then? Move on to some other move to Metropolis. Like like what was What's his? It's just you know, <laughs> I I, just yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> actually that's an interesting point that I wrote down too. Is this Joker seems to be the more like grounded, more more like a gangster, I guess, right. with like some psychotic behavior. Right. But he he has no plan and he just kind of does whatever. 
But then the Heath Ledger Joker from The Dark Knight is supposed to be the agent of chaos. Like he keeps telling people that, like, I only care about chaos. I don't care about anything. I have no plan. But actually, he has a super intricate plan that he slowly that slowly unravels throughout the right. course of the movie. <laughs> That's a good point. Like the Joker's plan from the Dark Knight makes way more sense, and he has much more of a uh, a well thought out plan as opposed to this Joker just tries to do whatever, and then Batman foils him, and then he just does something else. <laughs> so there's kind of like a I don't know. I just thought that was weird and ironic. I, I thought that I was, was like, I think oh, that's that, a it should be point. reversed, like. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly like the the Heath Ledger Joker should be doing the stuff that this Joker is doing like just whatever I feel like I'm just going to deface an art museum because chaos because you know I, I hate the world and I, I don't like art I, I think they probably should have written some plan for the Joker There's, there should have been an overarching plot something some some motivation he had to be doing yeah. what he was doing I think taking longer if they didn't kill Jack Palance's character until the end probably would have. I think so. Like in Batman Returns, they they don't kill Max Shrek until the very end of the movie. And he's kind of like the equivalent of that character. He's kind of like the MacGuffin character that kicks off the whole plot, which I think was a much smarter choice. Yes, I agree with that, too. Um, I think the other choice in this movie that I absolutely hate, and even Tim Burton hates it, and everyone hates it, is the the idea that Joker killed Batman's parents. Right. Uh, I, I feel like we're probably the millionth people to, to complain about it, so I won't complain about it too much. The, the two big criticisms are that, and that Vicky Vale gets brought to the Batcave by Alfred. Alfred. Yeah, Comedy and actually people don't like it. Both of those things happened because there was a writer strike right. in right. 1988, I think. And the original writer of the movie couldn't work on it because he was on strike. So they brought a non-union writer to do rewrites and he was the one who brought Vicky Vale into the Batcave and who decided to have Joker kill Batman's uh, parents. So that's why in Batman Returns, Batman complains to Alfred and says, like, hey, I wasn't the one who brought Vicky Vale into the Batcave. That that's Tim Burton on purpose, like making fun of the previous right. movie because he thought even that that was that a stupid idea. Sense. He just filmed it because like the studio wanted him to film right. that, even though he thought was like, I don't dis- I don't agree with this being in the script. But they thought it was a good idea to be- like connect the two characters together. So that was entirely Warner Brothers uh, trying to make the movie more cohesive by having Joker involved in Batman's backstory. But it's it's completely unnecessary and it doesn't really even affect the no. plot. Like Batman just awkwardly mentions it before before killing the Joker. He's like, you killed my parents. And obviously Joker doesn't remember doing that. Right. He's like, I don't know who right, you exactly. are. I don't remember killing your parents. <laughs> yeah, he has that. Well, yeah, well, you made me when you were, you know, just just last week. So, yeah, that was really it was very awkward. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's I, I had never read any of these comics. So as a kid, I just thought, oh, the Joker killed Batman's parents. And then it like this way. How old is the Joker compared to him? Like it, it brings up another bunch of questions. You know, Jack Nicholson's not that much older than Michael Keaton. And especially Michael Keaton doesn't look particularly young in this movie. No, he doesn't. He didn't. I was uh, I was surprised by that. I remember him looking more like he was in his 30s, but he looks more like early 40s i liked his performance i actually don't know how old he was when he made this there's a couple scenes actually in both movies 
where he's watching both Penguin and Joker on TV, and he he's his glasses on, and he has this just look on his face of just like it almost reminds me of like um, what's the character in Exorcist Three? Just this like such disgust at the world and like just these there's these characters because one thing I really loved about this movie, that, okay, they both movies really. They have the initial scene of Batman um, of stop. I guess he actually doesn't stop the crime. I guess he goes and beats up the the two the two thieves. And then one of the thieves is like, you know, so and so got thrown off a building the other day, and you know, I guess you know, and then I was like, oh, okay, Batman kills people in this universe. Okay, but um, there wasn't like something where Bat like I, one thing I never liked about the Christopher Bale movies where like. You know, Batman doing these long police investigations on drug dealing and stuff. I'm like, whatever. Like, drug dealing is a, is a victimless crime. This is just dumb. Like, I, you know, it's just this version of Batman. Like, yeah, he goes out and he, you know, someone who's someone who's out there um, robbing tourists. He goes out and puts a scare in him, you know. And that was sort of it. You know, there wasn't like some, you know, the, the police are very much in the background. You know, the, the police don't even show up. During the balloon scene, the police don't show up during the art scene, um, and I like that. Yeah, they must be really underfunded yes. <laughs> in the Gotham City Police Department <laughs> to have to. They have to depend on Batman for everything. Like even they like kind of pre-depend right, on him. They're right. like, oh, this is going to happen. I hope Batman shows up. Like, or maybe hire more police or bring more police to the thing that's happening that you think the Joker right. is going to show up and don't depend on Batman for everything. And, and you have that corrupt cop, but he dies in the first 15 minutes. So like they don't really explore the, the corruption of Gotham, which is, I think, a bigger theme in, in the later movies where I think that Gotham is 75% corrupt. You know, Eric Roberts has six, 70% of the officers on his own payroll or whatever. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's that corrupt cop in Batman yeah. Begins. And, and then Joker like shoots him and, and that's it. Actually, <laughs> a, an, another thing that I've noticed that Tim Burton just doesn't seem to be too interested in is uh is like classism or like Batman right. being super rich <laughs> and like the people he's helping obviously aren't. Uh, that's explored a lot more in the Christopher Nolan movies. Yes. There's like the uh, there's like that slummy part of Gotham City, and that seems to be the part that the villains always want to attack. And Batman is kind of on an island off by himself, and uh, so there there is kind of like an undercurrent of like uh, lo looking at Batman's affluence and like is it a good thing? Is it a bad right. thing? Uh, but yeah, Tim Burton, I've noticed, uh, tends to make if if I have a big criticism for him, he tends to make movies about rich white people, mm. I think, because he's just uh, I don't know that much about Tim Burton, but I'm assuming he grew up in like a pretty decent childhood in like white suburban, mm. uh, probably somewhere. In, I think he's from California, right. so probably somewhere in California. Um, so he doesn't he doesn't seem particularly interested in like. Uh, going into like those inner city slums kind of thing. There are some slummy parts of of uh, Gotham City. I guess the entire movie actually looks a little bit slummy, but there's no like there's one slummy part of the city. And then there's this other part of the city where like the rich people live. And that's where Bruce Wayne is. Right. It's kind of like equally <laughs> like the whole city is kind of slummy and dirty. Penguin targets the firstborn of Gotham elite. 
right? That was his... But yeah, they don't really explore that. There's not like any... You know, Batman doesn't seem particularly popular. You know what I mean? Like the, the citizens of Gotham are just kind of... They, they know he exists, I guess. Like, there's not, like, that big cheering and thank you so much. I, I kind of like, like that about him, I do like though. that a lot, like he, he's, not, he's not Superman. And, and uh, in Roger Ebert's review for this movie, he, he criticized it for not being Superman. Mm. Yeah. But I'm glad that they didn't just make, like, a Superman clone. That, I don't know. That wouldn't have held up. I, I think it's funny too reading that and like people criticized it for not being the Christopher Reeves Superman and now it's the opposite. Right, right. <laughs> Zack Snyder is making these Superman movies where Superman is basically Batman in a red cape. Like right. there's almost no discernible difference between their two characters. They're both these like dark brooding, uh, angry white men who with dead parents right. who just want to punch and murder <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Where it, whereas, like, there is a different, there was a difference between Superman and Batman right. at this point in time. Right. Like, George Reeves, Superman, you know, it's a bird, it's, couldn't exist today, probably couldn't exist in 89, right? Um, and had they, had Tim Burton made a goofy, um, happen, uh, and we touched on a little bit. This this was a movie that was used to sell Happy Meals, even though it really shouldn't have been. You know, where yeah. Jerry Hall is... <laughs> Especially you know, Batman Returns. Yes, like these are definitely not movies that should have been marketed to children. But um, let's say had it, had it been. Had it been one of those sort of a modernized Adam West, I would... I would venture both of us would say, yeah, this movie doesn't hold up at all. This is this movie is goofy. This movie is silly. This movie is childish. You know, this movie, you know, if it had some Jar Jar Bootsian yeah. sort of humor in there, aim comic. Unless really. it was unless it went so far that it turned into like the room or something. Right. Like it was right. just because actually that's that's kind of how I feel about Batman and Robin. Like for me, that movie is so bad it, that it I almost that, kind of yeah, like I've it. I've heard that. I haven't seen that. <laughs> that's movie. that's my hot take of <laughs> Batman and Robin. Like I could watch that movie almost any time because it's so insanely stupid right. that I just find it hilarious. Um, like it's a good movie to like get ten friends and you all get high at the same time <laughs> and you watch Batman and Robin. I think I think you will have a good time. Um, but yeah, these movies not so much. Do you think they were before their time? Do you think it was just? Like, and I, I'm kind of basing this more, not on my own memory, but kind of like the Roger Ebert, you know, snapshot of that time. If there's sort of like, yeah, maybe the world wasn't quite ready for this cruel, nihilistic, you know, what he, one line that kind of stood out, he said, is this a comic book or a tragic book? And I think nowadays we don't see comic books as some sort of like, hey, happy-go-lucky thing. They're They're supposed to be dark. You know, they're supposed to be... Um, nihilistic and you know I wonder what do you think about that do you think this movie was mm -hmm. maybe maybe if this movie came out in 99 and then I guess 02 with you know the just maybe some updated sort of themes and stuff if it would have been maybe more successful maybe not maybe not 99 and 02 maybe like 2009 and 2012 20, okay, but okay. that but then that's when the dark knight and the dark knight rises came sure, out sure <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I think in some ways it is ahead of its yeah. time. I think like the dark tone, especially uh, and like the the really 
dark like yeah penguin wanting to murder all the children <laughs> like stuff like that is like just insanely dark for what was marketed to families yeah, both so movies I, I, have yeah a death i think count, that stuff have a pretty high death count yeah and like that stuff what was pretty shocking and is pretty shocking for like late 80s early 90s but then there's other stuff that's 100 like of the time yeah. like the prince soundtrack. i was about to bring there's that no up way you would have say, a did prince you like soundtrack that? <laughs> now, that, that's a total studio move, right? That was a total. The studio says, hey, Prince is a Warner Brothers guy. This will help us sell more tickets. Yeah. Well, apparently Tim Burton is a Prince fan. OK, OK. Dude, I actually I like that. I had no problem with the Prince. I had no problem with the Prince scenes. I thought they were kind of fun. Um, I liked I actually liked Joker dancing on the float. <laughs> yeah, it didn't bug me as much as I thought it would. Like they did a good job of integrating you know what them. Bugged me? Bug Me was the Madonna Dick Tracy songs. I didn't like those. I thought they took away from the film. And I haven't seen Dick Tracy since it came out. I haven't seen that in so long. So I, I just I didn't like how they kind of shoehorned in two full length Madonna songs. Here I thought they were kind of the I, I, I just not kind of, I actually I enjoyed the Prince the Prince songs. And it sort of like was fun in a way where you have this sort of like 1940s aesthetic, and then you have Prince songs. I, I, I like that. I like the sort of, you know, I, I actually thought the tone was actually pretty consistent in both these two movies. It, I was afraid there would be a little bit of a, you know, like, okay, Joker's burning his girlfriend's face with acid, but then here's something happy and silly. There wasn't many happy, silly moments, so I, I, actually, uh, I actually enjoyed that. Or, or I don't think there were any happy, silly moments, you know? There, there wasn't a... Like like I said, the, the one comic relief character, the Knox character, he was more even sort of a jaded, you know. Yeah, yeah, true. A couple of one-liners, but and everything he says is kind of like a a, a negative, like uh, insult against right. somebody. Like yeah, he's not like a happy character at all. Like he's also very jaded right. and kind of mad at like the these world. These characters could fit in the movie Seven. Like if you took them and dropped them into Seven there wouldn't be a huge disconnect. There is that sort of aesthetic of this world is a is terrible, yeah. horrible place. And, you know, and um, I don't know why we still even try fighting for it because evil's always going to win. Like, I, 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 I like that. Should be, yeah. should, would like that, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit incongruous with the fact that, like with the their target yes. market, I guess. I, that's the only criticism I would give. The only kind of silly moment where I just kind of rolled my eyes is where Batman is sleeping upside down. I always thought that was just I thought dumb. that was dumb. <laughs> Apparently that was Michael Keaton's idea, actually. I was reading in the uh, IMDb trivia that uh, that was just like his comedy moment. Like he, he was a comedy guy before he decided to play Batman. And so some of the little character moments... Like that and where he and Vicky Vale are yeah. eating and they're like 20 feet apart. That I part I like, though, I where they're I eating in like their other ends of the, the giant table. Like that I thought was actually funny. I liked funny. it because to me but he's him an sleeping upside character. down, I was like, because he's a bat? Um, <laughs> you know, he's just a weird guy. I kind of, I thought that fits the character, the, the, the dinner scene. And she's like, do you even like this room? And he's like, I don't think I've been in this room. Oh, you know what one scene I didn't like? Which, yeah. I, this is just kind of dumb of me not to like. When Robert Wool and Kim Basinger are looking at the uh, the armor 
and they look at the Japanese samurai and they're like, where, where would this even come from? It's like, well, that's obviously a Japanese samurai. You are two educated people. You should know that it's from Japan. Like, that's the, that was like the most obvious of all the armors as to what country it came from. Like, that was, I don't know. It's a dumb reason. It's a dumb Yeah, that's, that's true. I did think it was cool that, like, he had all the armor that kind of would have influenced the look of the Batsuit. Like yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. But I Michael Keaton so yeah. much more. I didn't even think of. I didn't think about them not knowing that it was from Japan, though. I th I think that's <laughs> funny that you noticed that. I didn't even think about that. I, like I just thought, oh, it's like the '80s. Maybe Japan wasn't as like Pokemon hadn't sure. started yet. <laughs> Japan wasn't as much in the public sure. consciousness as it is now. Sushi uh, but this was 1989 during like Japan's bubble period when they were the the second largest sure. economy right. in the world. And this was when Sony was like buying out all these companies in the oh, states. Oh, Michael and stuff, Keaton so was in the movie Gung Ho. People still wasn't knew he? about you it. You see Gung Ho? Yeah, that's a Michael yeah. Keaton comedy. Maybe that's a, a prequel. Right. Maybe that's actually secretly is Gung Ho about in the Batman going universe? to Japan. <laughs> did, did you mind the little love triangle with Kim Basinger? Oh, I liked how Kim Basinger and Michael Keaton slept together the first day. I thought that was kind of cool in a kids movie. Um, I, I, I respect that. Yeah, so again, something I did not pick up on as a child. As a report, <laughs> do you think the reporter little love triangle was annoying and, and kind of forced? Or? A little bit. I don't think there was much of a love triangle. I think it was just that that guy, the Knox character, had kind of a crush on Kim Basinger's character. And that's about it. She never really reciprocated no. it enough for it to be a love charm. And I think they're trying to be funny with the whole hello legs and all that. But I just I didn't find that character very endearing at all. Um, and I guess I guess I should be happy that that character is not a wasn't like some goofy comic relief. But uh, let's see that actor. I really like him in Bull Durham. And um, he was on that really the show I really didn't like on HBO, Arliss. I don't know if you ever watched that the sports agent show. No, I've never heard of that. Uh, wow, he plays Alexander Knotts in Supergirl. So I guess Supergirl's set in this universe. Oh, weird. Maybe they they probably I, I know those CW shows have a lot of uh, they have a lot of cameos yeah. from from the old movies and stuff like that. But yeah, I know I know I've seen that guy before in stuff. Yeah. But I I don't I can't say what it well, was. Well, he was a big star because he had his own HBO show from '96 to two two. I mean, that was a. Uh, okay, that's probably why I don't remember it. It's like, it's too early. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I probably I was too young at that point to watch HBO. So it probably was one of those things that came and went and didn't make enough of an impact on the cultural zeitgeist for me to even know about it. Right. It was one of those HBO shows that had like a lot of cameos because he was a sports agent. So part of the part of the fun was like, oh, Jose Canseco's on this episode. Oh, this is, uh, you know, whomever like the NL okay. guy of the week would be on the show. It was just a silly little comedy. Nothing. I, just, I, I didn't enjoy it, but I, I like I actually like that actor. Batman. Batman. Can somebody tell me what kind of a world we live in? where a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press. This town needs an enema. I guess now we can kind of move on to the next movie, which would be Batman Returns. Yeah, we haven't talked about Returns much. We've touched on it. Yeah, we touched on it, but we haven't really talked about yeah. it. And 
I, my hot take from rewatching both of these movies is I actually like Returns slightly more now. And <laughs> I didn't. I, I would have uh, like five, ten years ago, I would have ranked it third, probably behind Batman and Batman Forever. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I've I originally I just thought it was too dark, kind of boring uh, and too like Tim Burton. I <laughs> OK, guess. yeah. Uh, the way I feel about these is like the first Batman movie is a Batman movie. Like, like it feels yeah. like they just hired Tim Burton as like a journeyman, but they just needed someone to make a Batman yeah. movie. Or, like, I the said, second I one, it's Joker like they movie. gave him free <laughs> reign. They gave him like a, a, a blank check okay. and said, OK, now make a Tim Burton movie with Batman in it. <laughs> and so this this one feels like it has the aesthetic of like Nightmare on Elm Street or Edward Scissorhands or like Big Fish or something like okay. that. Yeah. But Batman is in it like you. You can almost I can almost see in my head the little like Tim Burton sketches for some of the buildings and stuff like like they show the Max Shrek building and it's got like the rotating like cat head on the top oh, of yeah, it. That's weird. Yeah. And in my head, I'm just thinking of Tim Burton, like sketching this out, <laughs> like, Oh, this building, it's going to be so cool. And it's going to have this thing on the top that rotates around and stuff. So yeah, this one definitely has Tim Burton's like fingerprint more on yes. it. And I think because before I was less of a Tim Burton fan, he's kind of grown on me. Although his recent films, are not good. No, <laughs> <laughs> everything he's made since like big fish has been kind of garbage. Um, but yeah, the early Tim Burton, I, I actually really enjoy a lot more now. And Batman returns is definitely one of those things, but I guess we'll get into some of the things that I liked and, and a few things that I think didn't quite work as well in this one. So I, I definitely didn't love, I, I guess I, I liked some aspects of this movie. Um, I, I actually liked how the the plot made sense in, in in many ways. You know, you have this this penguin guy tossed off. He sort of or orchestrates himself back into the favor by the fake kidnapping of the mayor's kid, and then you know he has the the Max he and Max Streck kind of orchestrate for him to be mayor. It doesn't really go anywhere because again, this is another kind of overly long yet rushed sort of movie in that like it happens yeah. so quickly like okay he's he's front running for mayor and now he's not sort of thing um you know i found the same thing i found myself bored in some parts of it but never like bored in like ah this sucks kind of way more just in like okay i kind of remember what's going to happen so i hope this moves along a little quicker now um i i like the selena kyle pre-catwoman scenes you know the whole lumbering. Yeah, I like I liked her character arc. I did, a I did. Lot and more. I don't remember I think liking Vicky that. Vale was just kind of there, <laughs> whereas I feel like Selena Kyle uh, actually had more of a character arc. Agreed. 100%. And wasn't wasn't a damsel. She actually was like a uh, like she starts out kind of timid and kind of being shit on by everyone. And then she like, you know, she bites back in the end and it's kind of awesome. It's kind of feminist in that mm -hmm. sense. So yeah. I, I like that. I, I like the scenes with her and Michael Keaton together, like the, the mistletoe and then the callback to the mistletoe. That was pretty cool and well done. There was a few scenes where between them where I just felt like I was watching a 90s 
rom-com <laughs> starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton. And I kind of forgot for a second that I was watching a Batman movie. Like there's a scene where she goes over to his house and they're just like chatting with each other on the couch. I like and I was like, oh, this is this is kind of nice. This doesn't <laughs> it doesn't feel like part of a Batman movie, but I kind of like it for that. It I just like feels the, like I'm watching like a, a well-made too? 90s. You remember he was saying something? Oh, duality? yeah. Because like both of them are very mentally ill characters. Um, and they both share that sort of dual nature. I, I like that little throwaway line. I would, again, things I kind of wish maybe were explored more that weren't. The, the, the movie had a big problem, I think, with the three villains. Or the, the two villains, anti-hero plus Batman. There's not a, it's hard to kind of have them all yeah and there's not there's not a good enough reason to have catwoman and penguin work together yes that was part that was another thing where i think screenwriting wise i think they worked backwards i think they just were like they need to work together how can we get them to work together oh what if you know catwoman and batman are fighting and then he kicks her off of the roof because he's an asshole (laughs) and then she almost dies and then she's really pissed at him uh, yeah, I didn't like that because I feel like that just kind of made me hate Batman at that point. Yes, I was exactly. like, oh, he just like dropped her off of the roof. He didn't know that that truck of kitty litter was going to be down there. <laughs> exactly. Like he was trying to he kill her. He tried to murder Damn. her. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie? Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, for some reason, she doesn't fit the role in my head as... She, I think she does a fine job. I just she doesn't look the role if that makes sense. I don't, and I don't know why that is for me. I don't know if she just just doesn't um, doesn't appeal to me. I was gonna say the opposite. I think I think she's was perfect for okay. it. Sorry, but pun intended. She's perfect <laughs> for Catwoman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but maybe that's because like this was my first exposure to Catwoman. So like when I think Catwoman. I automatically like the first thing that pops into my head is the Michelle Pfeiffer version over like Halle Berry or Anne Hathaway. She didn't look sexy in the costume to me. Oh, I hard disagree okay, with so that. Maybe that's, this is what I think. Maybe the whole <laughs> this was like, weird yeah, this was like my <laughs> sexual awakening okay, okay. puberty <laughs> moment for me watching this movie. Even watching it now, I was like, ooh, I'm getting throwback <laughs> feelings to when I was like nine years old discovering my sexuality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even now I, I have a, a like, here's a little bit of a TMI moment. I, I still have a bit of a latex fetish. Ah, okay. Which so maybe, maybe, come, maybe go, comes from this. Could, I don't know. Could be, could be. <laughs> Apparently could, like know. Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer hated working in that suit. Like it was just like vacuum formed to her body. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it looked bizarre. Just the way the eyes and the mouth were cut out and the ears. I just like, there was a, there was like a, like maybe an uncanny valley for me that was sort of <laughs> kind of weird to it. I know, the movie's like grotesque anyway with Danny DeVito and everything. So I had forgotten, uh, and I messaged you this earlier, but I forgot how horny Danny DeVito's penguin is yes. throughout this entire movie. Like he spends the whole movie just trying to get laid. And that was almost like his motivation for working with Catwoman. Like he was, he was like, okay, now that we finished, let's consummate our relationship or something. That was really weird. Yeah, that that part, I, I the whole like how horny they made him and all like the sex puns he kept making throughout the movie. I was like, I don't know if I like this. Like 
I'm getting real uh, Frank Reynolds vibes from, yeah. from Danny DeVito in this performance right now. <laughs> what happened to all his henchmen? Did they did they go get arrested? Like they because he had some he had a very interesting like the gang. I love the gang of clowns. He had that one dude with the beard and the long hair and the woman holding. I, re- I really like the design of this movie, I think, even more than the 89 Batman. Like I said, I think they, they just gave they gave Tim Burton like free reign to kind of design all these these goons and stuff. And, yeah, they have like the monkey guy and mm-hmm. the, the girl with the the, the little dog the sad, that the catches girl, the battering. Yeah. What happened to did they get arrested? I don't remember what happened in the end of it. I, I, all they show is they're like they're picking up all the babies and which for some reason I remember that scene being a lot longer. Yeah. But it's like it's actually really short. Maybe just in my head because it's such a traumatic thing to, to like steal babies. Yeah. Like I remember even as a kid, I thought that was really fucked up. But like uh, it's actually really short. They, there's like one shot of them piling babies into the back of this like little choo-choo train thing right. that the one guy is driving. And then he's like, hey, guys, where are you? And then Batman shows up and he's like, oh, no. And that's it. And then it just cuts. OK, so I guess we can assume that Batman like captured all of them and sure, they just brought them to the police or something. But it happens entirely off screen. I'm actually, so, and I'm glad they didn't have uh, some long really drawn know. fight scene <laughs> where he has to fight them one by one or something, you know? Yeah. If this was made now, it would be two and a half hours yes. and there, there would, would be, be a long scene. drawn out fight yeah. scene. <laughs> he, he'd fight the woman with the doll <laughs> and she'd have some special power. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm kind of glad that that's not a thing. I was curious, though, like, where did Penguin get or like, why do these henchmen follow Penguin? Well, like, what are they I getting out of it? I think he also worked at the circus with them, right? I get that part. Like, they met at the at the Red Triangle Circus yeah. or something like that. And then uh, for some reason, they decided to go along with his plots but like why they're entirely right like, it's entirely a personal thing that he's trying to do it's a his personal vendetta against his parents right. they're not getting any money out of it yeah and there's uh, and there's never a, a scene sewer. where he takes over the gang or anything like that <laughs> yeah like the joker joker's guys i get it because even before he becomes the joker he's already a powerful guy in right. this like underworld of gotham he has all like millions of dollars and exactly. he can pay these guys all this money penguin is like a random freak who lives in the sewer. Like the only thing I could in my mind, like a sort of head cannon that I came up with to justify this is that he's like a Charlie Manson kind of guy. And this is like the Manson yeah, family. He has like he's basically a cult leader. And, yeah. Like he met them at the circus and they all are like, wow, he's right about um, hating his parents. <laughs> we also hate our parents. Well, Let's kidnap babies. He also, he also kills I, I one know, of his like, own guys, similar to, to Jack Nicholson. That happens. That actually happens in almost every one of the old 90s Batman movies, because yeah. I remember Two-Face also kills one of his guys. That's a very James Bond trope, too. Like the the villain, like killing one of his own men to like kind of establish how evil he is kind of thing. Yeah. I don't remember in Batman and Robin if, like, I think Mr. Freeze, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, gets pissed off at one guy right. when he's in his hideout at one point. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it happens. It's like a yeah. running theme throughout out all of them to, like, establish they're evil. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. They'll kill their own men. I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> I was a kid watching James Bond movies. I was like, that doesn't make sense. 
They have a finite amount of manpower. Like, even though he failed in this mission, send him on another mission. If James Bond kills him, well, okay. At least, you know, you know you're not wasting, wasting your guys. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the same thing, too, watching Batman Forever when, like, Two-Face shoots one of his men. I was like, but he could have had right, exactly. later These, on. They're like, still loyal. It's just stupid. You're not killing them for disloyalty <laughs> or for... No, they just, they just got to establish how how evil and and <laughs> batshit these these characters are um so would you say like overall would you say that selena kyle is a better character or that vicky vale oh, yeah. is a better character by or like by every every stretch of the mat every every everything you can say Okay. Like it's not close. <laughs> I agree. What about the villains, though? Like, did you prefer Jack Nicholson's Joker or... I prefer Jack or, Nicholson's or performance. But I do have to say, I do have problems okay. looking back now as someone who's watching for plot and motivation. It's like, well, Jack Nicholson doesn't really... He has just... He schemes. You know, he, he has all these, like, schemes to kill people. But there's no benefit to him personally. He has he has more hobbies than he has like a, a motivation. Yeah, and he's just kind of trying to he's trying to do his hobbies, and Batman gets in the way. And I don't even uh, so as opposed to Penguin, who has a stronger motivation. Yeah, and the Penguin and Christopher Walken have a plot. Like they have a, we're gonna make you the mayor. Christopher Walken is gonna make this energy plant or whatever. You know, it's. They they, yeah. have, they have reasons to do what they do. Um, he has a reason for killing. It is like Michelle it does Harvard. kind of get sidetracked oh, a little bit. Completely. I find because Peng- Penguin like starts out with his plot to steal the children, right. and then it it goes into like, well, why don't I make you the the mayor? And it gets sidetracked into that, and then it goes back to stealing yeah. the children. So it does kind of that kind of starts and stops the plot a, a few times because of that. And then, as I said earlier, I think they had a problem integrating Catwoman into it yeah. in, like, a way that made sense. But I feel like they had the exact same problem in Dark Knight Rises as well. They tried to put Catwoman in it, and they couldn't figure out a good way to integrate her right. into it. I just I, I feel I like Catwoman keeps getting done dirty <laughs> in every movie that she's in. She's not. She, there's not a lot of reason for her to be there, or they make a whole movie about her, and there's still not a lot of reason for her to be there because that movie shouldn't even exist to begin with. I, I also understand why Penguin hates the people of Gotham. You know, I mean, he's, he was thrown into the sewers as a child um, because he was different. And but Jack Nicholson doesn't have any reason yeah. to hate the people of Gotham in the movie. He's basically just a criminal who. Yeah, it's just he's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he was he was driven crazy by the transformation. So I I think there's def- I think Joker is only in the first Batman movie because he's the most famous yeah. Batman villain. So he just kind of had to be in there. But I feel like Tim Burton's heart wasn't in it yeah. uh, in that one. But I feel like with Penguin, again, going back to the whole thing about like Tim Burton's fingerprint on this movie, I think there's a lot of uh, Tim Burton in Penguin. Yes. Uh, I think Tim Burton kind of sees himself as this like ostracized uh, outsider kind of guy. It was, he was probably bullied in school. Again, I have no idea sure. what Tim's <laughs> childhood is like. I'm just assuming all of this stuff. But he's kind of this weird, like artsy fartsy dude with his wacky like hair that he never washes, and it's just yeah. Um, he looks like Edward Scissorhands. So I think I think 
uh, Penguin's character being this like weird freak who lives in the sewer and was abandoned by his parents uh, because Tim Burton could identify with him a lot right. more. That's why he had a stronger motivation and like a better plot. And as opposed to Joker, who is just sort of in the first Batman movie, I think that's part. I think that's one of the main reasons why I liked Batman Returns slightly more than the first. Yeah, Batman. I could see that. <laughs> I just, you know, Penguin also has that that interesting arc rejected by society Embraced by society, but in a very condescending, like, oh, you're such a brave freak. You know, you're so just grotesque and horrible. And then he turns, then, and then society turns on him again. Because it's, you know, people do that to freaks of society. And I, w- I wonder if that's, again, Tim Burton kind of putting himself in there, right. uh, being like this weird guy throughout most of his childhood. And then all of a sudden he makes movies and becomes super successful and people in society in general view him as like, uh, oh, wow, you're still like a freak, but you're like the cool freak because you get us and we get you and you're popular now (laughs) and you make movies that make hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, So I'm wondering if that was maybe his little like jab at society of like, well, actually, I'm I'm still like a weirdo and you still don't really get me. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I I like the interpretation because it makes sense. Yeah, I think that's actually when I was a kid, I remember I remember thinking like, all right, well, Penguin, Penguin, you know, he didn't really have much of a chance in life. He was thrown into the sewers as a baby. Of course, he grew up hating society and grew up as a, you know, someone who's, you know, plotting against the world. Hey, how else would he, how else would, you know, someone end up in that situation? Thrown from, you know, (laughs) thrown into the sewers by your rich parents is a pretty bad, uh, pretty bad way, you know? Yeah, yeah. He has a good backstory, I would say. Like, even that, that opening scene of this movie is probably one of my favorite like opening credits montage kind of thing with a Paul, maybe Paul, any Paul movie. Rubin. I think that's one of my favorite parts yeah. of this whole film. Peewee's Peewee's in there. Paul Herman, or what's his name? Paul Rubin, Peewee Herman, Paul Rubin. Yeah. Oh, is that like, was he the, He's father? the father? Yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> wow. And the, and the mother's somebody too. Okay. That's news to the me. The mother is an actress that's has some sort of, some sort of pedigree. I can't remember who it is, but uh, she's also, Somewhat, she's a no, she's a name actress. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, no idea. I'm finding this out <laughs> for, for the first time. Um, one, one of the things I feel like that didn't quite hold up for me, or that if I'm gonna criticize this movie, uh, is that I feel like Batman himself wasn't actually given that much to do in this one, like, he's much more integral to the plot of the first Correct. movie. This one, like. The first 35 minutes of the movie outside of that one fight scene where he shows up to fight those uh, circus guys, he's almost not in it at all. Right. Like that entire like first half hour and a, and a bit because uh, I was like checking the time on my DVD and I was like, oh, wow, it's already like 35, 36 minutes before Batman even shows up. Uh, that's all entirely setting up uh, Selina Kyle and Penguin and Penguin's plot and getting Max Shrek into it. And he goes into the sewer and all that stuff. Uh, and then finally, when Batman shows up, he's like watching TV or something. And he's just sort of like reacting to what's happening throughout the movie. He's not a very like active 
he's a very like passive character in this movie. And it, I, I also thought it was funny that like in the first movie, he gets he got second billing to Jack Nicholson. I think just because Nicholson was a bigger star. Right. Uh, and then in, in this movie, he finally got Michael Keaton got first billing and got like a massive paycheck, like probably more than double what he got for the first movie. And yet he's in it less and he has less to do. And like his his character is like we've already explored his backstory in the first movie. So there's no backstory in this one. Uh, he's just sort of like reacting to what's happening and like trying to foil the plot that's unfolding before him. That's about it. Right. So, yeah, that was my that was probably my only big criticism is I feel like Batman outside of those scenes with him and Selena Kyle. I think those were really I good. I love those. Scenes. But outside I, of that, I feel like he's just kind of there. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I, it's actually interesting because I thought that in the first movie, too, the first movie, Jack Nicholson gets he had top billing and a lot more screen time. So I think in both of these movies, but yeah. I think that's fine though, because, you know, Batman is who he is. You know, the, the villains had to be established and, you know, what more can you say about the Batman that they've sort of established for us? You know, he, he's a guy who fights crime and yeah, he's, uh, here's another hot take, but Batman's kind of a boring character yes. in a way. Cause he's just a rich, he's a rich white guy who fights crime as a hobby yes. whose parents are dead. And there's only so much. There's only so many times you can show me that his parents died before I stop caring. And then, like so many other superheroes have dead parents and it doesn't like Spider-Man has dead parents. He doesn't talk about it in every right. movie. So I think the Batman movies are only really as good as the villains yes, because he's it's it's almost like James Bond in that sense. Like James Bond isn't that interesting of a no. character. He's just he's kind of a tool. He's like a he's just kind of a, a a man with a gun and you just point him in the direction of the person you want to shoot. Uh and then the villain is really what and the villain's plot and that sort of thing is what makes the movie interesting. Batman's kind of the same thing. He's just like this guy with all these neat gadgets and you just point him in direction of the a villain or his henchmen who he needs to use the gadgets right. on. And in some ways the gadgets are in some scenes more interesting than, than he, he yeah, is. Exactly. <laughs> I just, that's, I think sometimes I really dislike, especially like the Batman series and stuff where it's like, okay, some guy's selling marijuana in the park. Like, okay, you know, that guy's not a bad guy. Why is Batman fighting that? You know, at least it's not as bad as the Zack Snyder version where he's like literally branding oh. people like in in Batman v Superman. There's like one. It's not even a main villain. It's like a petty criminal and Batman like brands him with the bat symbol. So it's like so there's zero chance then of this guy like recovering or having any kind of a normal life right. or not ever being a criminal again. Like you're just basically telling this guy, like you are a criminal now. So, so you, you will be a bad person for the rest of your life. Right. And everyone will know it now. Cause I branded you. Very like, fascist. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Extremely. So at least this Batman is only somewhat fascist. Right, so exactly. <laughs> like I said, I feel like it's just, I feel like the problem is just that that aspect isn't explored right. um, in the Zack Snyder Batmans. It is explored, but like in a bad right. way, explored <laughs> in the Christopher celebrated. Nolan ones, it's explored. Yeah. Uh, in this one is just not explored at all. The fact that he might be somewhat of a fascist because, you know, he's a rich, white, straight American guy right. <laughs> who has billions of dollars. 
and and doesn't actually like understand these criminals' motivations. He just kind of right. wants to stop. Some them. guys selling selling weed to put food on the table for his kids is not a bad person. But Batman doesn't care. He just <laughs> wants to stop crime. That's all he cares about. One thing I, w- I will say, like a huge compliment for this movie and uh, or both of these movies, I guess, because they have the same Batmobile is I love the Batmobile design. I think this is the coolest Batmobile. All the the stuff that it does, the shield, the weird little pivot. Thing. Did, did you like, like the scene where the clowns dismantle it? That was kind of weird. Uh, it's weird that they got. I don't understand how they got the plans to it. Yeah, that's what I don't get. Like, I don't what, think they ever explained they, yeah, that. Yeah, like, I guess in, in my mind, I was like, all right, I guess I have to just accept this. Because I'm like, how did these clowns like completely rewire everything without you know? It would make sense if they explained. I think how they got the plans. Like if that if that became more of a a plot line yeah. that was kind of followed through a little bit more. I feel actually like that would be a more interesting climax, like having the climax be Batman is stuck in the Batmobile and there's a bomb on it and he has to get rid of the bomb and disable, like try and re-enable the Batmobile so he can drive it again. Uh, the climax of this movie is actually somewhat anticlimactic. It just sort of ends with like three people talking to each other mm-hmm. and then one of them dies. <laughs> like there's n- there's no big epic fight scene nope. at the end of this movie. It's a very uh, intimate ending. Yeah, the clowns mostly run away. It's a good and a bad thing, I think. Yeah, I, I don't mind it, actually. The the clowns mostly escape off screen, right? <laughs> Yeah, and then there's the weird kind of switch that happens where Penguin, and this is another criticism, I guess, from me, uh, that Penguin's plan to, like, steal all the children and murder all the children, which was, like, his whole idea right from the beginning, uh, fails. And he just immediately, rather than being like, no, it failed, I need to try again, he's like, don't worry, I have this backup plan that I have not talked about until now, (laughs) where I'm going to blow up everyone with all these penguins that just happened to be here with rocket launchers on them. Uh, again, it was never set up. It just sort of happens. So st- yeah, stuff like that bothers me. I'm like, just write, just write a scene earlier where he's like, don't worry if this doesn't work, we have a backup plan. Like, you know, it can be a cheesy scene. It doesn't have to be right. like Oscar winning screenwriting material, but like, just anything to set up that, oh, this doesn't work, so I'm going to pivot to this other plan. But as an audience, we're like, oh, yeah, you set that up earlier during that other scene. Right, right. That, that never happens. <laughs> yeah, I think that goes into my point earlier of like, this is it's an interesting, it's like a two-hour, six-minute movie that seems overlong and also short at the same time in that certain aspects. So in the first one, the Jack Plant things are completely rushed. In the second one, certain scenes are completely rushed too, where I don't know if that's a, you know, just sort of a, maybe they're writing it on the fly in certain respects. Um, or maybe I'm so used to seeing like six episode shows where it's like, yeah, this could work as a, okay, this episode, this, this episode, this, blah, blah, blah. And then to a climax, so make it six hours instead of two. Or make it a hour and a half and cut out all the junk, but it was just kind of a weird. Yeah, but it, it just seems things are maybe, maybe that is the problem. Maybe there's nothing to trim, and it should have been two and a half, three hours with that sort of scenes. But then again, it's not like the movie is some sort of 
Godfather Part 2 where we can't just figure this out on our own sort of thing. Even though looking back, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense without a scene. You know, you have to kind of fill in the blanks in your mind in this movie, I think. Yeah, I guess. Like, I think I'm also just sort of used to the modern style of the two and a half hour yeah, me too. Uh, superhero movie where like everything is explained. Yeah. All these little details the, are explained. And that might be a, a direct result of this. I think that that's a result of fanboys complaining about, well, how did they get the plans for the Batmobile? Sure. So now when they write a superhero movie, they're like, make sure you include a scene right. where they show them stealing the plans right. so that people. Won't right. Because I can just imagine this. like a cinema sense. You know, ding. Well, how did they guys get this? Ding. How, wait, what about this? This person was never established as a as an auto mechanic. Ding. You know, sort of. Like, yeah. You know, and, and I, you and I both hate the cinema sin style criticism. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't care that much about plot holes unless they're really glaring, especially in the in the third act. Like the the Batmobile thing didn't bother yeah. me as much because it was kind of halfway through the movie, but like third act switches like that where it's it's just like oh this plan didn't work so i'm gonna just switch to that plan yeah that's a different that's uh, without yeah. it being established earlier like th- i guess what you would call third act exposition like that's just bad writing yeah, i agree <laughs> i agree with that there shouldn't by the time you get to the last half hour of the movie nothing new should be established at that point yeah. you should be only focusing on paying off everything that has already been established in the first hour. Right, and a half. I agree with that. So the, the rocket launcher penguins are like a new thing that they're right. establishing at the very end of the movie. It's like, what, where did these come from? It's weird. Yeah. Even if I, I enjoyed the rocket launcher penguins for too. how absurd they were. <laughs> but like you, you do have that thing where the mayor, the rise to mayor and the fall to mayor happens such so quickly that, you know, you know, then he replies. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely some things that are rushed. But then again, I'm not asking for it to be a three-hour movie that goes into depth into depth about his mayoral campaign. Like the either. Snyder cut you know? version of <laughs> Batman Returns. I, I, I'm I'm actually happy. I'm happy with the two-hour version we have. I, I and I really don't think I'm like I don't think it was. You know, how many times do you watch some of these two and a half hour movies? You're like, wow, this could easily have been 20 minutes could easily have been cut. The entire time I was watching Army of the Dead. Good example. (laughs) I was like, oh, I would have cut this. Mm -hmm. I would have cut this. I would have cut that. (laughs) Like Zack Snyder is definitely like a kitchen sink type of director. He just every idea he has is in there. (laughs) No matter what, no matter if it's good or bad, it's going to be in the movie. Um but yeah, I think there's something to be said about having restraint and being able to to cut out uh, ideas, even if you think they're good. And these these movies do exercise the a little bit of that. Where I think that actually the It movies would have worked very well as a Netflix ten part sort of series because there's so much in the book and there's so much that had to be trimmed. You know, the, the, and but that's working from source material. You know, these are working from loosely from comics, but mostly they're their own thing or something. Yeah. And I did want to mention that, too. The the scene in part one or in 1989 when he shows the TV commercial, which I thought that whole part was pretty clever, how the, the they weren't wearing any makeup anymore because they were all scared of getting. Oh, yeah. But the, he does the Pennywise dance. Yeah, that was another part I laughed at. Do you remember him doing the dance on TV? That was like, oh, he did the same dance that Pennywise does in that terrible, well, not terrible, in that movie, uh, 
it chapter one. Yeah, yeah, I don't, like I don't remember that. It was like, it just reminded me of that. I was like, oh yeah, kind of a Pennywise sort of thing. Interesting. I didn't, I, yeah, I did not pick up on that. I thought it was funny when he did, when he moved his hand and like somehow him moving his hand magically caused the screen beside him to wipe. Oh yeah, I like that. Like yeah. to kind of wipe away the other people. Yeah. Like there's, there's no way that would actually <laughs> it would not, work. But I liked it. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't I don't remember him doing a Pennywise dance, so I'm going to have to go back and look at this. That's actually a good point, though. Like, there's so many things in this movie that are like, OK, well, this like the but it wasn't like the Christopher Nolan movies where I felt like, well, this is sort of our world kind of this is existing in, you know, whatever year that movie came out, United States, New York or whatever. This movie felt like so much yeah. like it's its own thing. So any sort of suspense, disbelief, yeah. I didn't feel like, well, that's not realistic. Like, I shouldn't feel like that in the Nolan movies either, because it's a movie about a guy who dresses a, as a bat and a clown. But at the same time, because it's so realistic looking and it looks like New York or whatever city they're supposed to be in. And, um, you know, I, I didn't feel I didn't feel that what you feel in a lot of those modern super like part of the biggest problem for me in the modern superhero movies are. Okay, well, this is our world, but there's guys with costumes and stuff running around in it. So it's not really our world, but it looks so much like our world that I can't kind of suspend my disbelief enough in certain scenes, if that makes sense. For me, that's a problem with some of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, that's why I really I gravitate towards the more science fiction-y Marvel movies like Thor Ragnarok or Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy. Me too. Because they're so far removed from our yes. world. Like they're literally taking place in outer space on another planet. They've got all these weird alien space creatures in them. Like that stuff I think is really right, cool. Right, but like Civil War has Congress and stuff, you know, and it has – it's sort of like our politics in their world, kind of. There are uh, certain Marvel movies that take place in like New York City and stuff. Like I really liked Captain America 2, the, the Winter Soldier. I just think it was really, yeah, I just thought it was really well done. But I, I do have the same problem as you, though, where it's like now it's taking place on our planet in our time. So I... I'm going to be harder on yes. it. <laughs> I'm going to be harsher right. on this movie if it doesn't make sense. Right. It needs to make sense now because it I have a frame of reference. Right. Like it this looks like like it's literally in New York City. It looks like New York right. City. Uh the only difference is now there are uh superheroes and like aliens are invading yes. it and stuff. Uh but but like you said this version of Batman does not look no. like uh, like Gotham City was it shot almost entirely on a back lot so they could just sort of invent their own city. It feels like the 80s, but not the 80s. Right, exactly. It's like the 80s meets the 30s. I really kind like of. that. I, I, and I think actually that's part of the reason it holds up. It doesn't have sort of like this dated aesthetic to it of I'm watching an 80s movie and it's not a very good 80s movie. Instead, I felt the feeling of like, okay, movie could have yeah. been made this year yeah it's got a timeless quality yeah. to it it feels like it's out of a batman comic i kind of miss that style yeah, of batman movie and it hasn't been made since <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of i'm i'm actually hoping i don't know what's happening with the robert pattinson batman movie it could just be another like christopher nolan-esque batman movie but i'm kind of hoping it goes 
somewhat back to the Tim Burton style. Like, obviously, don't make it completely like this. No. But I, I would actually enjoy something that's a little bit more uh, goofy in a comic book. Yeah, I agree. I, I would like it. I would like a dark, serious tone, but not such a dark, serious tone. I guess if that makes sense. I yeah, I want dark and serious, but not as realistic. Right, right. I agree. With sense. You. Like it doesn't. It doesn't have to go for total realism, where like Batman could totally exist, and we have to every single thing that happens has to be explained. Like he has this certain type of Batmobile. Well, we have to explain that it was like a prototype for yeah. a tank or whatever. Um, that there's none of that in the Tim Burton movies. Like we don't know why he has this certain type of Batmobile or who designed it or, or what it was designed for originally before Batman used it. Uh, Cause as a kid, I didn't care about no, any of that stuff. Um, I was just, he just had a cool car. <laughs> so I feel like there's a little bit of over explaining in movies. Yeah, now, which, uh, Like I said, holding. I think that goes back to the, fanboys kind of complaining mm. about well where did this come from where did yeah. that come from why does he have this and that it's like who cares just enjoy right, the movie exactly. <laughs> yeah like i can i can just accept simply uh, simply accept the fact that these clowns knew how to rewire the batmobile like i'm like okay that's just something that happened i don't need a scene of them taking courses and and christopher walken giving them you know a lecture you know i don't need that there's a whole scene of them on yeah. LinkedIn learning, <laughs> watching like a two hour course on like how to how to hot wire a car crowded around the one guy's laptop. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I did I did feel some like Exorcist three slash seven slash um, what was the movie I was telling you about with Christopher Lambert in the it was a seven ripoff. Oh, the like yeah, resurrection, resurrection yeah. or whatever. Like, the, or like, like there were some elements of the Michael Keaton performance that really, like, I really enjoyed. Where he was, he was basically had that sort of world weary sort of like, you know, I thought I've seen it all, and now I'm seeing this grotesque penguin character capture the hearts of of Gotham while he, while it's obvious he's evil. You know, like, there's yeah. certain aspects that that I that I liked about that, which I also think help help it hold up a lot too. You know, things that things that resonate through sort of those gritty 90s movies in, in a way. So you would say then that this isn't too mean spirited then or or that you don't mind the mean parts of it? It isn't. But as a PG-13 movie that was tied into McDonald's and Burger King and all that, it is. So, like, if it didn't have this this epic name of Batman... And it was just sort of a um, whatever you want to title it that has a has a guy in a costume and a Joker sort of character, but it's not that. It's sort of its own thing. I would feel like no one would criticize that sort of you know. Oh, this is Batman. This is supposed to be lighthearted. These are based on comic books sort of things. I mean, obviously that movie wouldn't get made, but you have that sort of thing where it's like I, I do. I like the idea of this this mentally ill rich guy dressing as a dressing, you know, who's basically his mind is so broken that he's, he's become this bat like figure and he's fighting against another guy who's so mentally broken that he's become this, this um, terrorist clown. And I think there's some interesting things in that, that don't really, um, that don't really translate to a kid's movie. 
I think if they had just gone for an R and said, we're going to make an R-rated Batman in 1989, which wouldn't happen, but if they just said they went for it and the scene where Joker tortures Jerry Hall and transforms her into a disfigured woman, you see it in its horror. You know, it's, it would almost be like a seven or a saw or a, now it would never happen. DC would never allow that to happen, but it would be. I mean, now, now they would because R rated yeah. superhero movies are in vogue because of like Zack Snyder and, and Deadpool and stuff. Uh, but yeah, not in the, like at this point in time, the only superhero movies or the only big ones really, like there had been some bombs before Batman. Uh, like the the terrible Captain America movie or whatever, but like uh, right. the only big superhero right. movies were right. the Superman movies, which were like almost G rated. <laughs> like I think they're very very I think light. That's what Roger Ebert PG, wanted, but you could basically like show right. them to babies almost. And I think maybe the right because I think a lot of people had yeah. that Roger Ebert sort of thing of, oh Batman, it's gonna be fun, and it's not a fun movie. It's like he said it left him feeling very depressed and very, um, you know, it's just very empty. And I was like, yeah, if you really like, if you really think about it a lot, it is a very, the amount of people, the body count, um, the fact that in the end, there is no real resolution. Like, it's pretty much like, yeah, we live in a world of just, you know, just terror, terror and horror. And this is what we have to live with. Gotham is a horrible place and begins a horrible place and ends a horrible place. I, I see where Roger, I don't agree with Ebert yeah. in terms of like my enjoyment of the movie, but I could see going in as like, if I was like a 30 something year old, 40 something year old parent with like an eight year old, nine year old, 10 year old kid thinking like, Hey, Batman, I used to like this in, you know, I grew up with this one. Let me see what they, you know, and then you see this, you see this version It'd be a little bit off-putting, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think the ironic thing is probably the kid would enjoy it more than you would. You'd probably be horrified and be like, oh, man, I can't believe, right. you know, like they had this whole subplot about Joker sleeping with another man's wife <laughs> and then he kills the guy. And like, Well, here's the thing, too. Like, had this been another Christopher Reeve soft PG, almost G, it wouldn't hold up. We wouldn't be talking about it. We would we would never even decided to watch it. It would it would have been something that would be dustbin of his, dustbin of history. I think. I do think it would have been a little bit better as like a as like a soft R instead of a hard PG thirteen. But like you said, I don't think Warner Brothers would have allowed that. You can't market uh, that type of movie to, to children. Really, I think they had enough trouble marketing the second one. I think the first one they got by because of Jack Nicholson and because of you know other things like that. But I think the second one, part of the reason that movie didn't make very much money was because it's it the it's grotesque you know it's 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 not a pretty movie oh yeah big time <laughs> well you got like penguin with like yeah, black sludge coming out of faces. his mouth like wearing his weird onesie bodysuit like <laughs> how do you make a toy out of that and then and i remember the happy meal toys from that movie i remember the little oh, penguin yeah, yeah. in I, his I like too, yeah. uh duck boat and you could like wind it up and shoot it across the floor so there were there were they still found a yeah. way to make toys out of this extremely grotesque movie which i, I think is fascinating 
Um, but yeah, actually, that is the reason why Tim Burton wasn't hired to come back and do Batman Forever, because he had ideas for Batman Forever. He was going to bring back Billy D as Two-Face and he was going to uh, have a, a black Robin, I think he said he wanted. He had a few ideas for what he wanted to do with the third Batman movie. Uh, and then Warner Brothers had one meeting with him. And uh, I just remember reading an interview with him where he right. said like he knew going into that meeting that he was going to get fired. Like he just had the feeling going in and he just sat down and it was just like, yeah, we've decided to like go in a different direction. And that, that be ended up becoming Batman forever. But actually Batman from, as far as I know, Batman returns was still successful. Like it still made a huge profit, but it, it was more like the reviews weren't as good. Yeah. And that's a bad sign. Well, yeah, because you got to think, Jack, Nich Jack Nicholson alone would have brought my parents into the theater, would have, like, regardless of any connection to Batman. I mean, the guy was the biggest star on the planet at the time, right? Yeah, which is why he got top billing right. over the guy who actually <laughs> played Batman. Yeah. And deservedly <laughs> so, I think. Which is, which is still, like, bizarre. I mean, he had more yeah. scenes. He definitely had more screen time. Yeah, in terms of, in terms of screen yeah. time and, like, in terms of the fact that his character is the character that really drives the plot and Batman is just kind of like reacting. To There's actually thing. a really interesting list of actors um, who who were who could who are up for the Penguin and who are up for uh, Catwoman. I don't know. If you, uh, let me run through a couple of the Catwomen just because this one. Susan Sarandon, Meryl Streep, Brooke Shields, Demi oh. Moore or Demi Moore. How how old was Brooke Shields at this time? I don't think she was that old. Um, she's born in '65, and Michelle Pfeiffer is born in '58, oh, okay, so, so seven years younger. I guess that works. But uh, Burton considered Brooke Shields not to be bankable. Uh, Jodie Foster, Gina Davis, Sigourney Weaver, Lena Olin, Madonna, Raquel Welch, Cher, Ellen Barkin, Lorraine Bracco, Bridget Fonda, and Jennifer Jeez. Beals. <laughs> Interesting list. Wow. So just. Almost everyone, really. That's crazy. I know Robin Williams almost played the Joker. And then when when they went to make Batman Forever, they wanted him to, to come back and play the Riddler. Right. And he basically basically said, fuck you, because they used him as bait to get Jack Nicholson to play the Joker. But yeah, I feel like all these villains, like there's a list a mile long of all the different people that could have played them. Yeah. And you, sometimes you take those with a grain of salt. Penguin, I'm kind of shocked that anyone else was considered. Like uh, Danny Dustin Adios Hoffman was the first choice. So perfect for and that. And Dustin Hoffman turned oh. down. And then here's their list for that. And again, I got to take these with a grain of salt because sometimes I think they say considered, meaning like some guy in a meeting threw a name out, but like that name never. Like, the first name they list is Marlon Brando. I don't think Marlon Brando. Well, I don't know. He was doing terrible movies in the 90s. I don't know. And he was he was pretty old at this point. Like he would have been in like his late 60s, yeah. maybe by the by the early 90s. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't go with that, even though I love Marlon Brando. I'm oh, I love Marlon, Marlon Brando. Brando. I, I just maybe my favorite actor of all he, time. He mails in performances <laughs> like Island of, Island of Dr. Moreau and, you know, he, yeah, this this was the period of his career where he was just mailing yeah. everything in like he just. After after like 1980, he, he kind of just stopped right. caring. Right. Apocalypse Now is like 1979. Did he have anything other? Not not really notable. Yeah. 
and even Apocalypse Now, he's still kind of mailed in his performance. Like he showed up. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, that's overweight. true. Francis Ford Coppola would not have been happy. But, but yeah. he still he still gave a great performance in the right. end. But he didn't prepare for the role. He didn't. Yeah, I think I think but he had they had to read him his lines. Uh, something about he didn't have he hadn't read the source material. Yeah, you know he's. Well, anyway, that's another story. The Hearts of Darkness is one of the best documentaries ever and kind of covers that a lot, but yeah, definitely. So just to wrap things up, would you say overall that the Tim Burton Batmans hold up? Yeah, I would say they definitely hold up. They're definitely enjoyable. It's not like I'm going to watch them again anytime soon, but I enjoyed watching both of them. I, I, I found I got a little bored in some parts in terms of just some of the pacing and the length. Yeah, so. I, I didn't dislike any moment of it. Um, I thought it was very interesting to see, to kind of see where where a superhero movie wasn't 30 years ago, and kind of the influences that you can maybe argue they've had on the present. You know, visual styles are great. Plots were very very weak, yeah, very thin. But that's okay for that kind of movie. It's not a that's not a huge. You know, I don't need a big whodunit. And, uh, you know, I don't need um, I don't need a David Mamet style mystery um, or whatever. Although it, that type of a movie well, with Batman would be pretty cool. Yeah. And they've never again, I hope with the Robert Pattinson Batman movie that they explore more of the detective yeah, he's not side a guy who of punches Batman. People. He should be a guy who's investigating things. Right. That's his whole. Yeah. And, and using more like stealth tactics, like in the Batman video games, you don't have to punch people that much you're kind of swinging around on rooftops and like avoiding people i'd like to see more of that in a batman movie uh less like less head-on fighting are all these immortal gods and then there's like a regular guy in a suit he should be more instead of like punching aliens he should be more um focused on the whole you know david met style um you know whodunit fingerprints and all that stuff so anyway yeah i don't know yeah. I, I i think they both hold up i enjoyed it i think they're very good choices good choices to watch four hours well spent what, what do you think uh i agree both of them are very cartoony in their style uh i could definitely see more this time like the inf- influence of the 1960s sure. batman movie on like penguin the way penguin talks the way the joker laughs uh, stuff like that. So they, they, they definitely had influences and then they definitely did influence like the later Batman movies in various ways. So they're interesting to see in terms of like their impact on the history of the Batman character, but even just on their own, I think they're, they're very entertaining movies. Like you said, I don't think they're perfect. And same with you. I got bored in part. There were parts I just paused it and was like doing something on my computer and then I would go back to it. So they they weren't like consistently as exciting exactly. as I would have liked them to be, but I, there was no part of them that I was like, <laughs> oh, I hate this or anything like that. Like I, I still found them consistently entertaining throughout. So there was no Batman credit card scene or anything stupid like that that to just take me completely yeah, out of definitely. the movie. So um, yeah, so I would say overall, same as you. Like they they definitely hold up overall, even if there's there's individual stuff that doesn't work in them. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel so much yummier. All right. I guess before we close out, we'll kind of do the same thing we did last time. Uh, Is there anything that you've been watching or 
reading or listening to or enjoying lately that I, I binged Mare from Easttown, which is an HBO show with Kate Winslet. Um, a I want to say seven episode whodunit. Excellent, excellent. It deserves every award it's gonna get. Kate Winslet's awesome in it. Um, I was I, I sort of went on a little Kate Winslet kick. I watched after that. I watched The Mountain Between Us with Aegis Alba, which was enjoyable. Um, and I did watch Army of the Dead, as did you. Um, let's see, did anything else stand out from that? But no, Mare from Easton was one of the best police procedure sort of um, anti-hero, um, you know, flawed hero sort of movie or TV shows I've seen. And really, one thing I really liked about it, which I thought was was notice, um, notable, you have Kate Winslet, probably a top three actress. All time, perhaps, you know, maybe the best one working today alongside Meryl Streep. And she's in a show with like Netflix level actors and stuff. And they pretty much hold their own. And like, you never really felt, um, Guy Pierce is in okay. it too, in sort of a weird role. But um, it really, it kept me guessing the whole time. Um, I didn't guess the killer. Um, I had my theories. Very, everything that happens in episode one kind of comes back around by the end. Every character sort of makes sense. Really enjoyable, really great. Um, yeah, lo I loved it. A uh, high recommendation for that. Okay, I will check that out then. I keep seeing it on, uh, here in Canada, we have a thing called Crave. Okay. Which is kind of our version of like HBO Max. Ah, okay. And I keep seeing it on like the main page of Crave. Gotcha. Uh, but I have not gotten around to watching it so i'm gonna have to check it out i did we mentioned uh mindhunter last time and i just oh, finished mindhunter yeah. and see. loved yeah, it love, love that. <laughs> um i didn't like season two as much as nah, season one either. i feel like uh holden wasn't given enough to do in season two Agreed. his characters kind of dropped they focus a lot more on uh the other guy i can't think of his name now <laughs> uh tench bill tench yeah and like and his family, and I didn't really like that yeah, whole subplot without spoiling anything. <laughs> I wasn't really super into that. But I still think it was a very, very entertaining, a very good show. Very, extremely well written and well made. Um, so, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen that yet, watch it and then get frustrated because there's no season three it, but there will be a <laughs> there season definitely three, right? needs to be i don't i don't think so oh. it's on an indefinite hiatus oh that's not good and okay. i think a lot <laughs> yeah and a lot of these actors are just like moving on because you know they got to get paid <laughs> so they're gonna right, start right. to do other projects and stuff um that's a shame yeah it definitely it made me into a jonathan groff fan i i only really knew him from the frozen movies before this and I, I hope I see him in more stuff afterwards. Because who's he? He's, he's Holden. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And the Ed Kemper, the Ed Kemper uh, actor is great too. Cameron something, Cameron Bright, Brit. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember his name, but yeah, he's he's really. He good. won an Emmy for the show. I remember that. And then the other thing I watched, the other well, there's a bunch of stuff, <laughs> but the other notable thing because I was preparing for this show and I wanted to watch as much like comic book y stuff as I could. Um, I watched all the Tim Burton movies I hadn't seen yet. I watched all like the DC Universe animated movies I hadn't seen yet. Nice. Uh, and then at the very end of it all, I watched the Zack Snyder uh, Justice League. And I actually liked it. Really? Okay. <laughs> I hated Batman v Superman. I hated Man of Steel. Uh, but I, I think it's 
easily Zack Snyder's best movie in the DC universe. Um, I liked it more than I liked most of the other DC movies. Like it's better than Suicide Squad. It's better than Wonder Woman 1984. It's maybe not quite as good as like Wonder Woman or Shazam, but it's about equal to like Aquaman or Birds of Prey. Okay, but yeah, and it didn't it didn't feel like four hours. Like it felt like it needed to be four hours. All the scenes that were in it felt like they actually needed to be in it. Um, which is why I think the Joss Whedon version felt like a Frankenstein chopped up mess because right. it, Wish it was. that version feels like a much longer movie chopped down to two hours. Because right. uh, if you think about it, there's these like five characters, three of whom we've had uh, enough of a setup for from previous movies, uh, Wonder Woman, Batman and, and uh, Superman. And then we've got we're adding Cyborg and the Flash who have to have almost their own movies worth of like setup right. and establishing their characters and establishing their motivations and all that stuff was cut out of the Joss Whedon. Yeah. Movie. So <laughs> those two characters are completely done dirty by that version of the movie. Uh, and in this version, they're like the best parts of the entire film. Like, yeah, I would actually recommend checking it out. Okay. Would you even recommend it to someone like me who's never seen one of these DC movies? I would maybe (laughs) probably actually, because I feel like you don't need to know all the stuff that happened in in Batman v Superman or whatever. As long as you know roughly what happened. I think one thing would be interesting would be I wouldn't have the Josh Whedon, Joss Whedon version to compare it to. Okay, yeah, I would just avoid the Joss Whedon Justice League, it sucks. Zack Snyder and I are the only ones who haven't seen that movie. <laughs> but yeah, I would say actually that you'd probably enjoy it. Okay. Uh, but if you if you haven't seen them yet, I would say also watch uh, Shazam and Wonder Woman. Really? Those okay. are the other two DC movies I really like. Well, Shazam has They're the like kid detective in it, right? With Best of Marvels. Yeah, I like him. So I like I like a couple of the people other in Shazam, but Shazam is just like a fun. It's a fun like kids like sleepover movie kind of thing like it's a movie that would be fun to watch if you were like 12 years old and you were staying at your friend's house because it's about little kids that like get superpowers and turn into adults and like yeah i don't know it's a it's a very enjoyable film okay and has like some of the best cinematography of any recent superhero movie i find a lot of superhero movies these days have really and actually going back to the Batman movies we just watched. I think they have really good cinematography. I agree. But superhero movies now have really bland, <laughs> like grayish, brownish, ugly cinematography, and Shazam didn't have that problem. So, But yeah, other than that, um, I, I started another series. I started watching the Exorcist TV series that they made on FX. Okay. I'm only a few episodes in, but I'm actually really enjoying it so far. It's it's as creepy as you would want an Exorcist TV show to be, I guess. It's a little bit slow going, but I don't mind that about it. It's kind of like a slow burn. It almost has the pacing of the original movie where it's kind of slowly getting to where the demon is completely taking over the girl. The clergymen are kind of going back and forth on whether or not they should actually do an exorcism or is she actually possessed kind of thing. Like they're taking their time to get to like the the really crazy stuff, I'm sure, in the in the later episodes. Kind of like Bates Motel. That was a very slow moving TV show. Yeah, but I really liked Bates Motel. So 
Batesville Tale got better with every successive season. Yes, like, I've every, heard that every season. Yeah, like season five was the best season, followed by season four, followed by season three. Like the worst part of Bates Motel is season one. If you can get through it, then it just gets better and better after that. So, uh, but yeah, that's about it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, with that. Great talking to you again, as always. Yeah, so I will bid you adieu. Um, okay. But before we do that, I guess I'll preview quickly that next episode in probably about two weeks from sure. now, uh, we'll be talking about Space Jam and Looney Tunes back in action, okay. uh, which I actually have never seen. <laughs> I'm just really curious to see it because they came out around the same time. And because they're making this new Space Jam with like the CGI Looney sure. Tunes in it. <laughs> uh, so I figured it's it's relevant and it's uh, Looney Tunes back in action, not as much, although I have had friends tell me that it's much better than Space Jam. So and it was directed by Joe Dante, who I, I have a lot of I respect like for as yeah. a director. So so I'm, I'm curious to watch it. Uh, but Space Jam, for some reason, is like millennials, especially, are just obsessed with that. movie. Right. I think just because it's something they grew up with. Um, so I'm curious to see, is there any like merit in it or is it? Uh, a steaming pile of crap. <laughs> so I, I will find out after rewatching we'll it because I haven't seen it in a very long time. All right, man. Uh, so yeah, with that, I will uh, call it a night, and we okay. will talk soon. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Hey, just relax. I'll take care of the squealing wretched pinhead puppets of Gotham. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs>